Welcome back to The Imposter's Way, the place where I keep a beginner's mind and you hopefully can keep on learning from the things I've picked up along the way. The aim of The Imposter's Way is to explore interesting ideas from first principles and that is taking the time to ask naive questions in order to gain a true understanding instead of a superficial familiarity with a topic. So join me in staying curious, in staying independently minded and attempting to find balanced opinions in a world of polarization and simplification. Yesterday I had a prolonged talk with a stranger on a park bench. He talked about his experience with God and when he asked me about my religion I had to mention Bitcoin. I talked about how Bitcoin changes your behavior, your time preference, and your trust in the future. Confusion filled his eyes. And all that happens if I just buy some Bitcoin, he asked, not in a rejecting, but in an uncertain manner. I did not convert this young person to Bitcoin, neither did I try, or seriously see Bitcoin as a framework for moral existence. But as we explored the ways of Bitcoin and how it can reduce time preference in the last week's episodes, I thought this was quite a fitting encounter. Some of the tenets or memes that surround Bitcoin do indeed sound like religious ones. And while some may find that scary, revolting or blasphemous, I am very much curious to explore what Bitcoin can be for people. How that code running on thousands of computers worldwide can become more than a technology but can morph in to some kind of belief system and it can inform individual behavior and collective movements. And one of these tenets is Bitcoin is peace. Why does Bitcoin reduce violence? Okay, that sounds pretty crazy. Let's try to unpack this and you make up your own mind on the credibility of the argument, okay? Peace is the absence of violence, if you look in a dictionary. And if you keep looking at a dictionary, violence is defined as the use of physical force to harm someone or someone's property. So now the question, if we want to explore this from first principles as always, is who is violent? Intuitively, we think of individuals harming and stealing from each other, but we also have to take governments into account. So I, in the text form of this <laughs> podcast, I have a matrix um, that I will add to the impostorsway.com. But basically, if I had to explain it in words, it's you have an individual can be violent against an individual. You have an individual trying to be violent against the government, even though that's kind of hard. And then you have governments being violent versus individuals and governments being violent versus governments. So you basically have a two-by-two two matrix. And we maybe call this kind of violences differently. So an individual being violent to another one um, is, is either harming them physically, right, a crime in that sense, or it is damaging or stealing their property, which would be theft. Government against government, we would probably call war, or maybe you could even extend it to economic sanctions. And the government being violent against the individual could be confiscation, unrightful coercion, uh, discrimination. So um, these are definitions, but but I just wanted to kind of open your mind to the fact that we have different actors in this game and they can be violent towards each other. 
So to understand the premise that Bitcoin can help here, let us again build up kind of a logical chain by asking why a few times, just like a curious child would if it nags their parents. So Bitcoin reduces violence. Why? Violence or coercion is often committed to steal something valuable and Bitcoin is impossible to steal. Why? Because nobody can force you to give up your passphrase and Bitcoin is inherently defensive technology in that sense. And if we would ask why here again, we would have to say, well, Bitcoin is defensive technology because it uses encryption and encryption has a power asymmetry, meaning that it is way harder to secure something with encryption than it is to break something open. And you can see the parallel here to a physical safe where you lock something valuable inside. And if you don't know the combination, it is very hard to get inside, but it's very easy to put something inside if you know the combination, right? Before picking this apart, let me illustrate this defensive ability with an example. Let's say you are of a certain religion and a new government starts discriminating against that religion. Let's say you're part of the 53% of the world's population that lives under an authoritarian government. You bought a house 10 years ago. You and your family live in it and it is where you put all your hard-earned money into. It is your home and it's also your wealth. Your family, your religious identity and your house is all you have. Let's say the year is 2020 and the country is Myanmar. And I have a quote here to describe the situation there. The 1982 citizenship law embedded in legislation the concept of national races and introduced a hierarchy of citizenship categories that effectively institutes first-class and second-class citizens. Under this system, many lifelong residents of Myanmar have effectively been rendered stateless, including members of entire ethnic groups and children of mixed ancestry. Yes, that is the world we live in, and that really happens, and that still happens today. So stick with me. You live in your house, in your country, right? And because of a legal change, you are officially not recognized a citizen anymore. Imagine that. Now, this comes with a lot of issues, obviously. One of the most systemic discriminations these kind of law changes allow is taking away people's property rights. You, the stateless person in your house, can now not expect to win a court case if somebody steals all your belongings, for example or a government official comes by and seizes your house. Basically, you have lost your rights and specifically, you've lost your property rights. Now, quick definition of property rights before we continue. Quote, property rights define the theoretical and legal ownership of resources and how they can be used. These resources can be both tangible and intangible and can be owned by individuals, businesses and governments. So, property rights allow you to own things like a car, a house, land, a company, gold. And if someone damages or steals that property, you have the legal system to fall back on. You have to trust into your legal system to protect you. If it works out, that's great. And if it doesn't because you are being discriminated against, well, you have no way of getting your house back. You have no way of getting your wealth back. So, it is a trustful mechanism where... If you have trust in your legal system 
and the property rights it protects, you are going to have a good chance of getting your house back after it being seized. Now, obviously, that really depends on where you live and how much trust you have in your legal system. Which is where Bitcoin enters the picture. Bitcoin is the first digital good that has strong property rights, internationally and independent of governments. It enforces its property rights through code and through encryption. So no one can seize your Bitcoin and no one can steal it. You are not dependent on a legal system to defend yourself against theft. You do not need to trust a government. Actually, it's even impossible to trust a government. If you lose your Bitcoin, that's up to you and nobody can get it back for you. So Bitcoin achieves this status of digital property through one, the decentralized nature of the system and two, encryption. So through the decentralized nature, you can access your Bitcoin from anywhere without anyone's permission. And the encryption part of your digital property allows you to lock your Bitcoin into a very good safe with a 256 character combination. Now, obviously, you cannot live in a Bitcoin. It is not very useful as a house in that sense. But you can sell your house before things get too heated, for example, and store your wealth in Bitcoin. And then you can leave the country or you can stay. And no one can force you to give up your wealth. Millions of refugees, or at least thousands of refugees, face this dilemma every month. Leaving behind all that they've worked for, to trade off one's whole wealth against the opportunity to live a safer life somewhere else, must be a horrible choice to take. And with Bitcoin, anyone can remember a passphrase and leave, taking one's wealth along. So the merit of Bitcoin I mean, it really depends where you come from, but it shouldn't be judged based on its economic performance and its ability to make wealthy people's portfolios be even bigger. It should be, well, the thing that's special about it is that it is a, a freedom-enforcing technology which can help a lot of people out. Now, the funny thing about it is that as a monetary protocol with a fixed supply, this kind of hard money attributes, which we've talked about in past episodes, that can actually correlate with a high monetary value for that asset. So if that tool, Bitcoin the tool, helps a lot of people out, then that basically makes it valuable and that can be reflected in the price. But that is not the price is not the primary driver of anything here. If it doesn't provide value to people, um, also the price will suck. So Bitcoin is a tool to conclude. And if you would join me in the analogy, Bitcoin is more a shield than a weapon. Just as encryption is a shield for your privacy in matters of communication with tools like Telegram, Signal, or partially WhatsApp, it is a shield for your property rights in matters of wealth. If you know you cannot steal my wealth, would you try to rob me? If most of your wealth is unseizable, would the government be able to abuse you in the same way? Why I always aim to remain critical, I can't help but cheer on the amorphous group of Bitcoiners working hard to build technology that gives every human on earth with an internet connection something with strong property rights. Especially, but not exclusively, the many billions of people under authoritarian regimes or semi-authoritarian regimes or pseudo-democratic regimes 
however they might call themselves. Especially stateless people in Myanmar, for example. Dictators will never allow this. Governments will stop this. That is the common response to such optimistic thinking. And trust me, Bitcoiners, people in the Bitcoin community that are building Bitcoin tools, think of the adversarial forces all day, every day. And they are committed to try either way, to build defensive technology that increases freedom for the individual. So to summarize, let's walk through our why chain again. Why does Bitcoin reduce violence? It reduces the incentive, at least. It reduces the incentive of violence by ensuring that the holder's wealth cannot be seized or stolen. Bitcoin offers peaceful defensive technology with property rights that persist any government change, any policy change, and are valid internationally. They are trustless and cannot be broken, the property rights, because of your religious belief, because of your race or sexuality. They are what every democratic country's constitution aims for and what every good legal system tries to upkeep, non-discriminating property rights. The laws in Bitcoin are its code. And code knows no skin color, no religion or no countries. It is an inherently defensive technology and strong property rights protect the wealth stored in Bitcoin against individuals and governments alike. They do so by using encryption, which is an inherently asymmetric defensive tool. That simply means that it's a lot easier to encrypt something than to decrypt it. Like a physical safe that is a lot easier to close with something valuable inside than to reopen if you don't know the combination. Is a world with Bitcoin one without violence? Of course it's not. Just like a world without Wikipedia and the internet is not a world without ignorance. Yet having the library of Alexandria at your fingertips is something the world does not want to miss, right? In a sense, the meme of Bitcoin is peace is more of a mission statement than a naive utopia. Technology has the potential to change the dynamics of our real world. We have seen this over the last 20 years. The digital influences the physical. And just as we did with free information, a world with free property rights is one worth striving towards. While these mission statements can seem almost religious in nature, they are also full of optimism for a future that we as free citizens of the world can build for the next generations. This big mission inspires big words, but big words alone will not get us there. Building infrastructure, building tools that make the defensive shield that is Bitcoin usable for everyone is what is needed. But as words are all I have for you today, let me leave you with an excerpt from a poem aptly titled Bitcoin is a Declaration of Peace. First, I offer the shield to you. I do not surrender the shield, I will always have it with me. But it is abundant and can protect countless people and organizations. And so I freely give it to you. It costs me nothing but it gains us both something of tremendous value. Protection from theft of your capital. Take it. It's yours too. Whenever you're ready to take it up, it is here. That was today's episode of The Imposter's Way. If you learned something today or even enjoyed this format, consider coming back next week. 
I aim to publish these episodes weekly, but will never force myself to publish low-quality work. My aim is to research the topics extensively and continue to improve my writing. Subscribing on podcast apps, sharing this episode with a friend, and reviewing this show on Apple Podcasts are the ways you are able to support me in doing so. So thank you so much for listening. I'm very grateful for your attention. If you prefer reading instead, though, all articles are available at theimpostorsway.com. In case you have any feedback or suggestions, you'll also find my contact details there. Until next time, good night and good luck. Thank you.